most gracious and heavenly Father, we come before you. First and foremost, we want to thank you again for yet another addition to this church, our dear brother Webster. We ask that you may bless him in everything that he does and as we walk with you. We learned this morning as we were studying the Bible in Sabbath school that we, we have a task while we're here. There's a, there's a sort of like a, an ark building, but then there's also a work that we have to do and it's to tell others of your coming. Now that Webster has joined us, we ask that you may be with him and guide his steps as he continues to serve in that capacity as well. Keep him away, Lord, from the evil one. Deliver him from any temptations that may come his way and that he's able to live daily as a child of God. Bless him and keep him. And I ask this, Lord, on his behalf, not because any of us here have attained anything differently, but we all need you. And now lastly, Lord, I want to ask for me as I speak now, that it will be you speaking and not I, as we open your scriptures, that you pour out your Holy Spirit, and that may your word, Father God, speak. We ask these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we are, today's message is titled, Enmity Between Man and Satan. Enmity between men and Satan, and this is inspired from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Now, we've been studying Genesis a little bit during the Sabbath school, but let us go ahead and read it. Genesis 3, 15, it says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, I need you to understand something with that particular text there. It's something that we read through it very briefly. I mentioned how this is one of those, like, the first prophecies of what's going to take place, but something that we may miss and that we may not realize is this, that when Adam and Eve sin, they al align themselves with the devil. They were on the devil's side now. And so what happens is, I have to tell you, I don't know what it is about things in this world, but when somebody cuts me off in traffic, even if I yell words that he would never hear, even if I share with him my phalanges, which he may never see, you know, or whatever, it may be not me. I'm talking about those other pastors, you know. But, 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 but even if that was it, it feels so good to just go, mm, you know, and just, 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 just say it. I don't know what it is, but for some reason, the healthy food doesn't seem to taste that great. I, I mean, I've learned when you go to one of those state fairs and stuff that, that the greasier and more sugary fill and the fatter, pretty much if you have a heart attack on a plate, it tastes so amazing, but, but it seems, it seems like that's not good for you, but, but the desires to give into our instincts and what we want, it seems to be aligned with the devil. And so when the Lord says that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and the seed and so forth and the whole bruising and crushing and ankles and head and all of that, it's not just about what it was to take place, but this is a prophecy that is alive in your life right now. Because you see, many of us, we, and I say this all of the time, you've heard it for six years, I'm saying at least every other month you hear this, God loves the sinner, hate the sin, we love the sin, but we hate the sinner. And, 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 so, and so what happens is that the Lord makes a promise that should you want to, he will make enmity between you and Satan. He will do that. He will make it so that you are now despising sin. You know, some of us don't despise sin. We're just afraid of the consequences of sin. 
That's all it is. I don't speed, not because I think speeding is wrong, but because I don't want to get the ticket. I cannot afford the ticket. Some of you who grew up in the church in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, repent or you're going to burn. And so what? We, we try to act like Christians because we're afraid of perdition, not because we want to pay, spend eternity with God. And so here's what happens. When this prophecy of Genesis 3.15 was put in there, that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, this is the Lord intervening and saying, hey, 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 Satan, I know you're trying to win them over to your side, but I will give them the power. I will drive a wedge. I will make it possible for them to not be your allies, but your enemy, should they choose. Because you see, the devil persuaded Adam and Eve to sin. He tempted men to sin, and, and they gave in. He's the one that caused the angels to rebel. And so now, he wants us to be on his side against the great battle. Let me gather as many numbers as possible so that we can turn against God. But Satan heard the declaration. He heard somehow that his plans were going to be interrupted and by some means man was going to be able to resist the power of the devil. Or do you think that God says, I give you this thing so that you do not sin with the intent that we were going to fall flat on our faces all of the time. That was not his intent. If he's asking you not to do something, he's not giving you like a trick question or, or a puzzle that you can't resolve. No, no, he, he, he's preparing a way. He's going to ask you for it, and he's going to make a way, and it is available to us. It is there. And so that way is the grace of Christ. This is the grace of Christ, which the soul, when it's filled with God's grace, is able to be in enmity with the devil. You know, without discovering grace and without this renewing power, we're going to remain, and, and, and understand this, remain captives of Satan. Many people think it's either God, the devil, or the neutral. There is no neutrality. You are either serving God and filled with his grace and power, or you are not. And so this power, this power is the one that enables us to not do the bidding of the devil, but to do the will of God. I wanted to, uh, this wasn't part of the original sermon, and this week when I was preparing, I was like, you know what, I need to add this three verses, or two verses on there. I want you to look at the contrast of the Lucifer, how the Bible describes it. We saw that last time I was here about a month ago. And then the way the Bible describes Jesus. Ezekiel 28, 12. Look what it says. Ezekiel 28, 12. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Contrary to how Jesus was when he came as a human. Isaiah 53, 2. Look what it says. Isaiah 53, 2, 53 verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I mentioned in my St. Pete church some years ago that Jesus was ugly and I almost got stoned before the church service. You know how people like shake your hands before COVID outside of the door? Oh boy, I was dodging some of the stuff that, how dare you say that Jesus was, it's the word of God. Nothing that makes him desire. I mean, listen, you, you, you know how it is. 
when, when, especially with ladies, guys are very shallow traditionally, at least I remember when I was in college, but ladies was like, well, he's not that attractive or not that tall, but he has a nice personality. I mean, ladies will give you something, you know what I mean? Like, oh, but he has nice teeth, or he can sing, and apparently singing is enough, you know, which, you know, it, 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 but, but, so we do that, but there's nothing about Jesus that we should desire him. See, because the idea is that when people were drawn to Jesus, it shouldn't be because he was pretty or because he was super charismatic and everything else. He was very blunt. Sometimes he cut deep. You know, he was very clear. He, he was just a straightforward. He didn't just sugarcoat anything. He knew exactly what we needed and gave us that. Not what we wanted, not what we begged for. Some of our parents, you know, spoil our, our children, whatever they want. No, no, he, he just gave whatever it was. Nothing except his character. Not charisma, not pretty words. What is that? Is it a silver tongue or, or a golden tongue? Silver? Why not gold? Isn't a gold better? Okay, whatever. The silver tongue. You know, it, it, it seems to be, no, no. He simply just was. He simply was just different. Check out this quote from Great Controversy, page 506. It says the following. The antagonism that exists between the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Satan was most strikingly displayed in the, words, in the world's reception of Jesus. It was not so much because he appeared without worldly wealth, pomp, or grandeur that the Jews were led to reject him. They saw that he possessed power which was more than compensate for the lack of these outward advantages. But the purity and holiness of Christ call forth against him the hatred of the ungodly. His life of self-denial and sinless devotion was a perpetual reproof to a proud, sensual people. It was this that evoked enmity against the Son of God. Satan and evil angels joined with evil men. All the energies of apostasy conspire against the champion of truth. So, so he wasn't pretty, he wasn't wealthy, but he was holy. And his life modeled this. And everybody who hates purity and justice and holiness, they gather against him. So now it is no longer the devil and his angels, but evil men lined up with the devil as well to stone him to such an extent. On Thursday night, we do that Bible study, and this text came up, and it was part of the message from like a year ago, John eleven forty eight. But check this out. We've seen this before here. John eleven forty eight. it says, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see, I'm a minister of the gospel. I preach that Jesus is coming. I like my fancy suits, my fancy cars. I like the title. I like the prestige. I don't have a fancy car or fancy suits, but, you know, talking about those other people, you know. And, and, and so now, oh, no, they're going to start believing in him instead of looking at me. Oh, no. You know, sometimes we're so busy going about God's business that we do it for the title and the prestige rather than the compassion and love for the lost souls. Some of us have made a business and a mockery of God's business. And this is a problem. Some of us just make church a routine and a tradition. We got to come. We got to go. We have to stand. We have to kneel. We have to do all of these things. But what do you do when you walk out of those doors? Come on now. Isn't it time? Isn't it time? And so here you have some folks who were just too 
too happy. You know, somebody suggested the other day that maybe we should make Sabbath school like around 10 o'clock because people don't start strolling in to like, you know, between 9.30 and 10. But you know what I've seen? There's other churches in Orlando that start at 10. People don't show up to 10.30. Some of them start at 10.30. People don't show up to 11. We got to stop moving the goalposts. We need to just simply do because if this was a job interview, a court date, you know you will be there, you know, 20 minutes early. You drive the night before to make sure you know how to get there and where to park and you make sure that you are present. We got to stop watering down the things of God and we need to do what's right in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it time? 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't you understand that Jesus himself, Jesus himself came and we killed him. We turn against them. What do you think is going to happen to the followers? I mean, don't you understand? If you're living your life nicely, you know, comfortably, you're probably are no threat to the devil himself. Because if you're doing things for God, everybody will turn against you. You know, I forgot who I was talking to. I, I do too many Bible studies throughout the week. Somebody had brought up, like, the idea of David, how, like, nobody believed in him, not even his own parents, the brothers, but yet he was the one. And even when he was going to step up, the king is like, well, here, put on my armor at least, something. You know, they didn't realize that he was protected by God himself. And so when you're doing things for God, yes, even your mother may turn against you or your father or your son or your daughter. Perhaps even church leaders may want to keep you from doing the word of God, lest you take away their title and their position. Not in this church, those other churches, of course. You know, in this church, we're dying to put you to work because, you know, it's like three of us wearing 20 hats, you know. But, but I'm talking about those other ones, you know. And, and, and so, so that's the idea. You stand for what is right with God and you will suffer persecution. Now, one of the things that I need you to understand is that it's not always and actually in the day and age that we're living right now, is not often a full frontal assault. Because you see, I have to tell you, I don't know if you guys saw the lovely dog here this morning. You know, I, I met the young lady this morning, and the dog was so sweet and chill. But, but, but if the dog would have been, I would have been ready, you know. I, I would have been ready to defend myself. Why? Because I saw the attack coming. The devil's not going to come at you because he's going to know, oh, Jesus, you know. I mean, you know, you're going to call upon the Lord. But... He's going to try to do it in a subtle, quiet way behind the scenes. And this is why, this is why we need to hold on to God more than ever. We need to hold on to that transformation of character. Because you see, the way that he gets you is to such a point that sin is no longer repulsive to you. It's no longer abhorrent because now your master is not the God of heaven. We confuse loving sinners with loving sin. We confuse having mercy and grace towards the sinner, like the adulterous woman, which I love that. Where are those that I condemn you? Jesus says, neither do I. But go and don't do it again. He didn't say, ask you where. You know, no, no, no. Go and don't do it again. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Look what it says about the God of this age. Not our God, but the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Great Controversy 509, it says the following. If you can't say amen, say out. It says, conformity to worldly customs converts the church to the world. 
It never converts the world to Christ. Familiarity with sin will inevitably cause it to appear less repulsive. You know, let me tell you this. Those of you that know me know that I can speak, you know, a few languages. And I got a friend of mine who's trying to learn Spanish, and I tell him, listen, the best way to learn a language I learned, for me at least, rather than just going through, through uh, little cards that you flip and you memorize the word and, you know, house, casa, hi, hola, you know, and you kind of, no, that, that doesn't work. That relies too much on memory. And, and even me speaking a language that I know, when my mind, I, I forget something like, you know, the, the thing with the thing with the thing, 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 because I forgot what it was called. And so it happens. You can't, it has to be natural. So I told him, you know what's really good? Watch television. Watching television, even though you may not understand the word properly, go ahead and use a movie that you probably know. Like, I don't know how you, my, my wife and kids are like this. I can't do this. They can watch the same movie over and over and over to the point that they know the script and they're reciting the words. I, I can't hang like that. But, I, you know, for me, if I already saw it once, I cannot, I cannot fake like, is he going to die? I already know he is. I saw, I know what's next. There's no more aha moment. But, but they are able to just do this. So, so if you have a movie that you already know, watch it in the language that you're trying to learn. Because by seeing it in action, you may not need to know what I just said. I could just go, blah, 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 blah. but by going like this, you know I'm kind of calling you over when the person goes over. So you're kind of seeing it in action. It's more immersive than, than just flipping a three-by-five car and trying to learn the word. So, so television can be amazing. As a matter of fact, people are watching us online right now in their televisions, in their mobile devices. Television can be good, but oh boy, oh boy, can it be terrible as well. I mean... In television, I, I got to tell you, they do something, you know, uh, people call it propaganda and those kind of things. And please don't go home and start throwing away your televisions and everything else. I mean, understand, I can utter words of life or I can utter words of death. I can praise God or I can curse my fellow brothers and sisters with this tool. Use it the right way. That's the idea. But, you know, television, I have seen over the years I have seen over the years, Sister Ruth mentioned in Sabbath school this morning how she remember a time where television was just shut off. I remember, I wasn't a nighttime guy, but I was always up early. I remember watching nothing but color strips, and then the national anthem, you know, will come on at 6 a.m., and then cartoon time. It was so great to have programming resume, and she was mentioning how now it's just 24-7. But, you know, here's the thing with television. I've seen it evolved to such an extent where... They are putting you on the side of sin and you're happy. There was a TV show that came out. I won't say the name, but, but it had to do with a heist and money and people stealing, robbing banks. And they had you where you're rooting for the thieves and the ones who murdered and cheated and did all of this thing. Like, oh, yes, they got away with it. Huh? During the pandemic, you know, I don't know if you guys quarantined like you were supposed to or not, but... But my youngest daughter and I, we started watching a cartoon series. You know, my kids and I, we have the things that, that we do together. I, I, I go on dates with my son Julian, with my daughter Ariana, with my daughter Sophia. So Sophia and I were watching this cartoon thing, and, and it was a remake of a cartoon that I grew up with in the 80s. I mean, how can it be wrong? At the end of it, they used to tell, remember kids, stay in school. And remember kids, don't do drugs. Like, that's beautiful. Let's do it. Man. So, so we were watching it. And they waited until the last episode, the last episode of the series, for the hero and the sidekick to confess their love to one another, same gender, same sex, 
and they had a makeout section at the end credits. And I'm saying, no. Why? It was great all the way up until the ending. And I'm saying, what in the world? And the ages, 7 to 14. That was the, the you know, you know how to say like PG-13 or, or whatever. 7 to 14. And I'm saying, oh, what in the world? And that made it seem normal. That made it seem great. It was a great friendship. Why not? Let's do it. Why? I mean, that wouldn't have been right in a male-female relationship in a kiss cartoon, let alone, you know, the same gender. So, 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 so this is how the devil does this. And then you know what you do? You're feeling, oh, you're so happy. Yes, they finally got together. No. The media, and that's what the devil does. Not only through subtle things like that, but pride can do it as well. I'll tell you a little bit about pride, something that I learned some years ago over a decade and a half ago now. Uh, go ahead and put the first photo on the screen. You know, uh, uh, yeah, with the, with the pyramids, with the thing, with the thing, thing, thing. Hey, that's me about 80 pounds ago with some hair, you know. And, 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 and the pastors and I, we got to go to Egypt and do the trip from, from, from Egypt to the promised land. We got to do the Exodus experience, right? And, and so you have it there. Um, and then we went to Israel. Go ahead and put the next, next picture up. And, and so you see me there, you know, like with hair. Hey, see, they'll never say you never see me with hair. I had hair. Go to the next one. And then this one right here, this is a diagram of La Via Dolorosa or La Via Crucis. And this is pretty much the way where they said that Jesus walked as he was carrying the cross all the way up to be crucified. I mean, you know how terrible this is? This is like when my parents used to tell me to go get the belt. Like, what? You're making me go get the thing that you're going to hit me with? Come on. And they made Jesus carry his own cross through La Via Dolorosa. And so we decided, you know what? Let's go ahead and go down the path and let's follow the way that Jesus did. Go ahead and go to the next photo. Thank you. And so we went there. And when you're going through these roads and all of these ways, there's a rock on one of the walls where they think that that's when Jesus kind of put his hand on. Um, so that because he was losing his footing and before somebody else came to help him carry, carry the cross. And so now they got a big frame around that. That people like kiss and, and, and pray over because that's where Jesus touched it, you know. And then as you go along the way, we got to the spot. Go ahead, go to the next place. We got to this church here, this temple, this cathedral. And inside, show the picture of the inside there. There's a slab of rock, of stone, where they believe that this is where Jesus was laid when he was brought down from the cross after he was dead. And people come from all over the world to kneel down, to pray to it, to kiss it. Now, I was a germaphobe and a half before COVID. Mind you, it's 125 to 145 degrees there. It smells like onion, sofrito, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And there are people sweating, dripping, and leaning over and kissing and rubbing and putting their foreheads down and praying on this stone that millions of people have rubbed and kissed and licked over the years. Anyways, um, we go outside. Go ahead and put the next, uh, the next picture there. And, and so when we go outside after the cathedral, and I see that little ladder up there, and, I, and there was a tour guy doing like a tour. And I was like, excuse me, my wife. My wife gets embarrassed when we go places because I'm the one that has no problem. Like, excuse me, sir. Like, even at restaurants, when the waitress keeps passing by 50 times, <clears throat> ma'am, you know, and, and she gets, so I have no problem just, just asking the question. I raise my hand up and I ask, excuse me, sir, what is that? And so I asked him about that ladder, and he explained the following. Go ahead and put the picture up of the map. 
uh, that the city of Jerusalem is divided into four quadrants. And you have the Jewish side, the Muslim side, and then you have the Christian, but it's separate from the Christian Armenian side. And it is split into four areas. And I remember crossing through there. Every time you went to another section, there is metal detectors. There's young kids with, you know, machine guns and everything else. And they are, let, you know, making sure that people can cross through to the next quadrant. Go ahead and go to the next picture and leave that up for a little bit on there. Don't take it down. So here's what happens. Here's what he tells me about this particular ladder that has been there. At the time, it was over 90 years. Now it's over 100 years that that ladder has been sitting up there. You see, what happens is that when they divided the city of Jerusalem, this temple was split right in the middle. Now, the entrance is in the Christian side. But the latter is right in the border of the Christian and the Armenian side. And apparently an altar boy or a priest or somebody like that, they got up there to try to clean the windows and they got into a fight. You're over the line. No, you're not over the line. They started a squabble and one of them fell down to their death. Since then, no one has touched that ladder because how dare they cross to the other side. And so it's been there since, and to me, that is just amazing. Something as silly as I want to clean the windows, but I stepped over your side a little bit. A little bit. And so now it's just remained there because no one dares even reach over and grab it because it's dead center in the split of the community. I mean, here you have four different groups of people claiming, you know, that place right there. And I could understand the Jewish side because they, they don't believe in Christ like that. I could understand the Muslim side, but the Christians and the Christian Armenians, they both had the same Savior, the same God. They both recognized Jesus. And what? See, let me tell you this. The church is supposed to be a movement. When Adventist churches began to settle, talk about money, and became institutionalized, that it was about a program and money, and attorneys started running our services instead of mission-driven people, we got stagnant, and we got stuck. And, and, and may, may, may the Lord, you know, uh, allow us to actually go back into our calling, which is ministering to the community. We build up the temple, but we preach the gospel. We build up the temple, but we share this with others. The Lord is going to cause it that we're going to be fighting inwardly, whether it's a little ladder and cleaning windows or the color of the carpet or something else. We got to stop with all this, as Sister Shirley says, all this foolishness. We got we to just stop that. You know, we need to put it to an end. We need to be more mission-minded. We need to do this. You know, Satan is continually trying to blind our minds to the fact that Christians should never forget that God has given us a purpose, that we must walk with him, that we must be with him, serve him, and share him with others. Ephesians 6.12, look at this. This is a reminder to all of us. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5.8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. 
Revelation 12, 12, it says the following. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. We'll pause there for a moment, and I need you to understand something. There's enmity between the devil and God's true people. If you think he's your buddy, if you think he's your friend, uh, wasn't there like a... a um, one of those like, like, like proverbs or fable stories about a scorpion and a frog, was it? Crossing like the water and then the, the, the scorpion, you know, stings him anyways. And he's like, why did you do that? And he's like, because I'm a scorpion. It's what I do. I, I sting, you know. Uh, how are you surprised when the devil sells you a fake promise like he did to Adam and Eve? No, you could eat of it. You're going to be like God. Well, they were already like God. And then, when now it causes you your salvation, how are you surprised? And then he still blames God for it, and you believe him. The devil ain't your friend. And right now, we have a spiritual warfare going on. If there's infighting in the church, it's not because I don't like Sister Shirley and Sister Shirley doesn't like me. It's because there are powers and spirits working there. You're wondering what's going to transform this community. It has to be a spirit-filled and a spirit-led church. Nothing else. It's not about programs. It's not about voices. You know, we had technical issues this morning and everything else. I've been to churches where they got a down pat. Amazing sounds, like 50 cameras, zoom in, zoom out. They got like 50 pianists and organists and drums and all of that. But even all of that music still has them leaking young people because they're more attracted to the things of the world. So we need to get better. We need to improve. And that's great and all. But the base foundation is being spirit-filled and spirit-led. Ephesians 6.11. We'll go to the last chapter of today. Ephesians 6.11, it says, put on... All of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against a few. What does it say there? All strategies of the devil. Verse 12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded up your ways with truth. The devil loves to twist that. We keep telling people that your truth may be your truth, and my truth is my truth, and you have your truth, and I have my truth. And what is truth? And, and the truth is being called to question. That's got to stop. With truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and having shod your feet, put shoes on your feet, cover your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that when your head is somewhere, is peacefully equipped with God. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. Above what did it say there? Above all. Because without faith, I wasn't going to ask you all of that. I was in the middle of a statement, but sure, without, without faith, it's impossible. Yes, thank you so much for those who finished that. But no, but, but without faith, you know what we're, we're doing? We're like those people who are doing church for the money. We, we, we're singing the parts, we're playing the role, but there's no faith behind it. See, you know, remember when Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall be saved, but he who enters the kingdom of God. Do you guys remember that? And, and, so, and so what happens? You know, they say, Lord, didn't we do this in your name and did that in your name and did this? Yes, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Uh, where were we? 16, yes. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench 
all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And just in case you're ready to go kill some unbelievers, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying always, not in an emergency, not last minute, not when the bill is due tomorrow, so now today you pray. It should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverings. Don't give up after five minutes of praying. We talked about Noah this morning in 120 years. I mean, I'll give him like 10 days of prayer or 40 days of prayer, but 120 Come on now. No, no. With all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You know, people saying, what would Jesus do? Remember that, that thing? Ask yourself in everything that you do, does it align with the character of God? Ask yourself whatever your natural impulses are. Does it align with the character of God? If not, that means you haven't put on all the pieces of the armor. And it is time. There is a promise in this enmity between men and Satan. But don't think that you could play with the devil. Let him be your buddy. Hang out with him. And you're going to be a-okay. You need to allow God to create that divide. Many of us just like to, to, to flirt with the line too much. And that's where we get ourselves in trouble. You're either following the lamb or you're not. Put on the armor and let your character be transformed. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, this is a very simple message. I mean, we told stories, we looked at photos, we looked at texts. But man, that one simple text, of Ge text in Genesis that you will put enmity. Lord, I love the world too much. Lord, I love my pride too much. Don't cut me off. Don't you dare do that. Well, we're going to fight. No, no, no. Turn the other cheek. Be loving. Be grace-filled. But I can't give that which I do not have. Therefore, I need to be converted. I need to be transformed. I need to be filled in the inside and wrapped up in the outside with your spirit and your armor, Father God. I need to be always be in prayer and walking in your ways. May you bless us and keep us and fill us with your spirit everywhere we may go that others may see you in us. This is my humble prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say Amen.